0: God gives the gift of marriage to some, and to others, He gives the gift of singleness. God says He gives gifts to everybody. Some people get the gift of marriage, and some people get the gift of singleness. How do you know if you've got the gift of singleness? Well, if you have any desire whatsoever to get married, guess what? You don't have that gift. The gift of singleness is when, you, when God gives you the desire where you are perfectly happy to live the rest of your life, not married. That's the gift of singleness. Now, whatever state you might be in, single, married, single, again, whatever, this next verse applies to all of us. Take a look at Hebrews 13, verse four. Married should be honored by everyone. Will you circle that last, last phrase? Regardless of whether you're married or single or single again, I'm to honor marriage. Now, sadly, marriage is no longer honored by everyone. In fact, for many, marriage is dismissed as archaic. You're getting married? Marriage is demeaned. You know what that's going to do to your career? If you get married, you you know what that's going to do to your career? Marriage is delayed, it's denounced, it's discouraged, it's disrespected. Folks, today we live in a culture when, uh, where marriage is not honored by everyone. In fact, even Christians fall into this category. Part of the problem, and I was asked this question, is what's the major problem that you see in marriages today? And it's this, no one understands the purpose of marriage anymore. You see, 50 years ago, if you asked the common person on the street, hey, what's the purpose of marriage? They would give you, I don't know, four or five different purposes. But today, no one knows these. And so marriage is treated like one other life choice. Now, whether you get married or not, it is absolutely essential for you to understand the six reasons for marriage. And like I said, most don't understand these. In fact, most have a totally unrealistic view of marriage, okay, oh, this person's going to complete me. Or they just totally have the wrong idea or purpose about marriage. The reality is marriage won't solve all your problems. Sorry, that is not a true statement. Marriage won't solve any of your problems. A lot of people think even that marriage creates problems. Marriage doesn't create problems and it doesn't solve problems. It only reveals problems. As I walk the mall, people know that I'm a pastor and they come with me with their relational things and I know people have been married three three or four times and they're always scratching their head as they talk to me. Uh, Pastor George, I just don't understand why my relationships suck. I said, I'm thinking, well, do you know what the common denominator is? (laughs) It's you, okay? So marriage isn't going to solve any of your problems, but it does have a God-designed function and form. And it is important whether you are married, single, or single again, that you realize what they are. And today, I'm going to give you the six reasons why marriage matters so that you can share these with people in your relational world. And then after these six points, we're gonna bring up my wife with Jason Gans, our new life development pastor, and he's gonna interview Cheryl and I. We just celebrated this past week, 10 days, our 42nd anniversary, okay? So we're just gonna kinda lay it out there. So let's jump into the six reasons, okay? The first one is this, that God created it for connection. Between a man and a woman. Now, this verse isn't in your outline, so write this down. First Corinthians eleven, eleven. It says this: In God's plan, men and women need each other. Stop right there. Do you know how radical that statement is? People don't believe that anymore. Women say, "You know what? I don't need I don't need men." And men say, "I don't need women." You see, whether you get married or not. You need a man or you need men and women in your life. Why? Because nobody holds the full image of God. Women have part of it and men have part of it. And that was God's idea. God is the one that thought up the genders and God is the one that thought up sex. What a great God we have, okay? I mean, have you ever thought as you read the Genesis account why God didn't create man and women, Adam and Eve, at the very same time? It's because God wanted Adam, especially Adam, to understand how much he needed a woman in his life. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who is right for him. Notice that marriage, that gender, that sex, that men and women, these things are God's idea, and they are his antidote for loneliness. He says it's not good for man to be alone. And then notice that it says, I'm going to make a companion. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you need companions in every area of your life. But there is nothing like the companionship of marriage. Nothing compares to the companionship of a man and woman who are committed to each other for life. Folks, there's no other relationship in the world that compares to it. Notice what Jesus says about this. Out of Mark chapter 10, verse six through nine, Jesus said, God's plan has been seen from the beginning of creation when he made us male and female. This explains why a man leaves his father and, a mo- and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one body. Now, since they are no longer two, but one, no one should separate them for God has joined them together. Now let me make three quick points out of this first. Number one is this, that marriage is God's plan. It is not a human plan, it is not a human idea, and it's not even a human tradition. It is God's plan. Secondly, it is between a man and a woman. There are other relationships. No ifs, ands, buts about that. But they aren't marriage Marriage is between a man and a woman because the parts fit together for a purpose, for the creation of everybody else. The third point is this, that marriage is, between, is, a, is, is to be permanent. It's what God joins together. That's why people oftentimes say, let no man separate. It's permanent. Now, do you realize how radical those three things are? Today in our culture, people don't believe that anymore. But it's still the truth. And just because we live in the real doesn't mean that the ideal doesn't exist. It does. There are a number of weddings today, and I've done some of them, where the the couple creates their own vows, which I kind of like because it injects some kind of personal stuff into it. But the downside of that is that a lot of times they leave out God. One will say, you know what? I'll love you as long as I see the sun shining. Well, what happens on a rainy day? (laughs) I love you because of how you make me feel. Well, what if you're puking over the great throne of life, okay? And you're not feeling too good right then. A lot of times we just leave God out of it. And yet God is the one who invented it. God invented it and created it for connection between a man and a woman. Secondly, God created marriage for the multiplication of the human race. Folks, that's how we all got here. A couple got together and made you. That was God's idea. God populated the earth through this. Today we have 7.4 billion people. That was God's idea. Now, you've heard me say this. In fact, you know this to be true, that the Bible says that God is love and that he created us to love us. In fact, he created the universe so as to create our solar system, so as to create our planet, and he created our planet in such a way that human beings could exist so that he can make you, so that he could have a relationship with you because God wants to have an eternal family. And God put this love into a couple to begin the process. Think about this. God chose everybody who's going to be in heaven to come into existence through marriage and sex. That's the way God designed it. Nobody would be in heaven if God didn't create marriage. Let me show you this out of a couple of verses. Genesis 1, So God created people in his own image. He patterned them after himself, creating both male and female with his image. And God blessed them and commanded them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God's very first command to human beings is, hey, I want you to get married, I want you to have sex, and I want you to populate the earth. That is one command I think we've done pretty well at, okay? 7.4 billion people. My point is this. This is one of the purposes of marriage, multiplication, but it's not the only purpose. Now God expands on this in the last book of the Old Testament out of Malachi, in Malachi 2:15, says this, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Godly children from your union. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Now let me help you understand this first. He is not saying that if you choose not to have kids or you can't have kids, that he's disappointed in you, that you somehow, someway are evil or a bad person. No, what he is saying here is that you and I, all of us are alive because some couple got together. And God has used that process for thousands of years to populate heaven. The third purpose of marriage is that God created it for the protection of children. Now, we all know that kids grow up better. They grow up healthier. They grow up stronger when they grow up in a stable marriage, when they grow up in a marriage with mom and dad. Now, why in the world did God design it that way? It's because God knew when you were born that you were gonna be completely helpless, that you weren't gonna be able to change your pants, that you weren't going to be able to feed yourself, that you weren't going to be able to, to blow your nose. He knew that you were literally going to be helpless. God knew that human children were going to need a safe environment where someone would come along and just care for them, feed them, dress them, nurture them, protect them, pay for their college, guide them, train them, care for all these different areas. Now let me summarize for you about 100 to 150 different studies that impact marriage, both the positive and the negative, on kids and on men and women. Studies have shown that if children go up without two parents, without a mom or out a dad, there is an increased risk that they'll fail in school, that they won't graduate from college, that they'll get involved in drugs and alcohol, They are more likely to experience stress and distress and be at higher risk for suicide. They're not likely, they're more likely to go to jail and they will more than likely divorce or have children outside of marriage. Now, understand this. I'm not the one that said this. These 100, 150 studies come from secular institutions, universities that have said this, not me. On the other hand, children who live with their own two parents growing up have a healthier life emotionally, relationally, physically, financially, across the board. How about women? Well, studies show that women who marry and stay married have a lower rate of depression than single women or women who cohabitate with a guy. They are at lower risk of being a victim. They are at lower risk of experiencing physical abuse within the marriage. They have a higher net worth than those who are living with a man that they're not married to. Isn't that one interesting? What about men? Well, studies show that men who marry and stay married earn more money than single men. that, that they live longer than single men, that they have fewer illnesses and injuries than single men, that they amass more net worth than those who cohabitate with a woman. Folks, I'm not the one that's saying this. Secular universities are putting this out. So what is all this saying? Simply this, that when you do it God's way, it works better in your life. Every single study has done has proven that kids develop best with a mom and a dad. Now we all know that we are broken people. That we live in a broken world. But again, that doesn't mean the ideal doesn't exist. It does. Take a look at Proverbs 14:26. Those who obey and respect the Lord have a secure fortress. Their children have a place of refuge and security. Well, you circle refuge and security. Folks, that's what every child needs. Every child needs a family that they know mom and dad aren't going to walk out. You see, it used to be heard of couples that were really struggling in their marriages in the past say something like this you know what? We're going to stay together for our kids. And that back then was considered an honor and a compliment because it was unselfish and mature. But today, we laugh at that. What do you mean? You gotta think what's best for you. And so God created marriage for connection, for multiplication, for protection. This next one is a big one. He he, he created it for perfection of our character. You see, it's in relationships that we learn to be unselfish and loving people. And there is no relationship great that has a greater impact on your character than marriage. That is, if you get married, okay? On the other hand, or I should say this, another fact that you and I need to know about the, uh, uh, the reality of when we came into this world is not only were we helpless but we were also very selfish. There is nothing more selfish on planet Earth than a new baby, okay? The very first words out of its mouth is, I, okay? I wanna be, they have more power than they even realize, okay? I wanna be fed, I wanna be changed, I wanna be uh, carried and held right now. There is nothing more selfish on planet Earth than a newborn baby. And the purpose of your life is to grow from a self-centered kid to a selfless adult. That's called maturity. That's called learning to love. God is love, and guess what? He wants us to be like him. Now, I love this next verse, because it just kind of jumps out in your face. Look at Proverbs 18.1. It's selfish and stupid to think only of yourself, will you circle the word stupid? I like that word, okay? How do you and I get out of unselfishness? Marriage. I talk to young adults all the time, get married. It will grow you up, and you need to grow up. You see, when you get married, you move from me to we. In marriage, you have to learn to compromise. You have to learn to think of others. Marriage truly is the laboratory of love. Now listen to me. God wants to make you like Jesus Christ because you're not gonna be able to take your car, your house, your money, or your possessions, but you will take your character. And the number one tool that God uses in your life to build your character, if is if you're married, is your spouse. So if you're sitting next to them, turn to them and say thank you very much, okay? But Pastor George, my spouse isn't my spouse isn't a Christian. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Your spouse may not be saved. But God wants to use them in your life to build your character. Will you write this down? The number one purpose of marriage is to make isn't to make you happy, but to make you holy. And what's interesting is that holiness is the pathway to happiness, and yet we don't think that. Holiness is all about becoming more loving, more giving. It's all about learning how to serve. It's all about sharing. It's all about growing up and maturing and becoming unselfish. These things are the foundation of happiness. When you start caring more for another person than you care about your own happiness, the result is you will be happier. This is what God wants you and I to excel at. Take a look at this verse, Romans 12, 9 and 10. Love sincerely, hold on to what is good, be devoted to each other like a loving family, excel, will you circle that word, in showing respect for each other. Do you do that in your marriage? Do you compete with one another to out show respect for each other? I can tell you this, before I got married, I thought I knew how to love a woman, okay? I mean, this hunk of hunk of burning love right here, I knew how to love a woman. But after 42 years of marriage, I know love washes the dishes and even more, which I absolutely hate, takes the dishes out of the dishwasher, has to put them up. That's a pain in the blessed assurance. Here's another one that's on my list, makes the bed every morning, okay? I don't like that one. Changes bedpans. We've been there for, after 42 years of marriage. Folks, it's out of that kind of love that comes connection and companionship that prepares you for greater struggles that are going to come down the road. God made marriage for connection, for multiplication, for protection, for perfection. Fifth, he made it for construction of society. Marriage is the fundamental building block of a church, of a community, of a nation, of a culture. If you know history, you know that where marriages are strong, a nation and a culture are strong. Where marriages are weak, a nation and a culture is weak. And I don't need to tell you what direction our nation is going in. America isn't getting any stronger. Why? Because I don't think we understand the value, the true value of marriage and family anymore. It's all about me. Today, we live in a society that idolizes individualism. Take a look at Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness lifts up a nation. In other words, righteousness, doing it God's way, lifts up a nation. But sin, not doing it God's way, brings disgrace to any society. So it is for the purpose of constructing and building society. And then the last one. This is the most important one, and most haven't even heard of it. It's for the purpose of reflection. Reflection of our union with Christ. You see, marriage is a metaphor. It is a symbol. It is an object lesson of how God loves us and how he wants us to be in relationship with him. Let me share with you one of the deeper passages of Scripture out of Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He died so that he could give the church to himself as a bride in all her beauty. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. No one ever hates his own body, but feeds and takes care of it. And that is what Christ does for his church, his body. The scripture says a man is united with his wife and the two become one body. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. So each husband must love his wife as he loves himself, and each wife must respect her husband. Now, folks, this is a deep passage. And I literally, I could teach on this portion of Scripture, those few verses right there, for weeks. But let me summarize it with the amount of time that we have this morning by just saying this. There are some things that are obvious and quantifiable benefits in marriage. With our kids, with a man, with a woman. But this one right here, this reflection of this union between Christ and the the church, between Christ and individuals, is not easy to grasp. It is hard to understand and appreciate how marriage is a reflection of this relationship. So listen to me. No other relationship, and there are many, but no other relationship on planet Earth, and this includes parent and child relationship, can adequately illustrate our own relationship with Christ and the way the, the way the way of, of marriage between a man and a woman. The strongest reason why you and I ought to fight for our marriages is because the reflection of it gives of a God who wants to love on people and be in relationship with them. It is God's number one picture. When I have couples come into my office who are fighting for their marriages, one of the things I say to them, thank you for fighting for it because it's God's number one picture to communicate to the world how much he loves them. When I see a couple whose spouse may be in the hospital and their other spouse is there with them through the thick and thin of life, I oftentimes tell them, "I want to thank you. You may not realize this, but a but a mystery is being declared to the people around that God loves His church and it's being seen through you." So let me summarize this, folks: It doesn't matter what public opinion says. It doesn't matter what what is politically correct or incorrect. What matters is what God says. He's the one who invented it. Today we live in a culture that has forgotten the purpose of marriage, and so it doesn't honor it anymore. It demeans it, it degrades it, it discourages it, it redefines it, it's just a social contract. Why? Because they don't understand the mystery and they don't understand the meaning of it. Now, let's move into the practical. Let's give a big round for Jason, who's gonna interview my wife, and give it up for my wife, okay? Because she's really nervous, let's give it up. Come on up here, we're gonna go for this. If you want, you can call me Lord during this time. Oh, just a joke.
1: (laughs) I actually did know a preacher who did try to make that reality in his uh, marriage. It didn't work out very well for them. But My name is Jason Gans. I'm the life uh, development pastor here, and I've been here for for the summer. And uh, George, why don't you introduce your wife for us?
0: This is my lovely wife, Cheryl. We've been married 42 years as of about 10 days ago, August 16th. That was the big day. And we got three kids Aaron, Matthew, and David. Uh, How old are they? I can't remember. They're old. They're
2: 38, 34.
1: 31. 31. There you go. Do you know their birthdays? I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> she knows the birthdays. I won't make you do it.
0: I told, I told my kids, I said, I want you to know, when your mom passes away, I don't know any of your birthdays, we're going to celebrate them all on Christmas, because I know Jesus' birthday, okay? That's right. That's that what I said. That makes sense.
1: That's love and honor That's right there. That's the way it is, okay? Grace-based parenting. So, well, let's just jump right into it. So, we are in our asked Pastor George this week. We are one of our most popular questions, and so I want you to think in terms of a Uh, both from someone who is young and someone who is older. So if you're talking to a 20-year-old person, whether a man or woman, and also a 40-year-old person, man or woman, and they asked you, how do I find the right person to marry? What would you say?
0: Okay. I'll go first. Cheryl wanted me to go first, okay? Um, I'd say there are four things. And remember, I'm linear, okay? I got four Cs. Christ. Okay, character, common backgrounds, and a common purpose in life. Let me explain. First of all, Christ. Scripture's really clear. Don't be unequally yoked, okay? That's the only command in regards to marriage. You've got to marry a Christian. No ifs, ands, buts about it. The second one, though, is character. You want to have a person of good character. And I would define that in three ways, that they're generous, that they're a person of integrity, and that uh, they're humble because you need to be teachable. Third one is common background. The more similar you are in family origins, the less bumps you're going to have in marriage. And then the last one I would say is this, a common purpose. And let me explain that because I've seen... Some who have had to give up on their purpose in life. I'll make it an extreme. One wanted to be a missionary, one wanted to stay in the United States and just have a house and a nice white picket fence. One had to compromise, and that created tension and disappointment. And so I say those four things really are the undergirding for a happy marriage.
2: Well, uh, to the 20-year-olds, I would say, uh, similar to what George said, I was reading in Philippians 2, in my quiet time this morning, where it talks about us uh, being united in spirit and intent on one purpose. I would definitely look for someone who's intent on fulfilling God's purposes. And also, I would look for a real teachable spirit, because when you're linked with someone who isn't teachable, it's it's very difficult, and um, then the other thing I would would be wise to do would be to examine some any family origin issues that you might have I know George and I had to do that after we were married and it was not a fun thing to do (laughs) but um, it's really eye-opening because if you see dysfunctional things in your family um, that you can deal with and hopefully put a stop to in your own marriage you will be miles and miles ahead even before you walk down the aisle.
0: Can I add to that just a little bit? Um, I'm working with a couple, I'm gonna do a destination wedding in San Francisco here in in a few weeks, and as I'm working with this couple that I've seen grow up, uh, I'm taking them through a book, um, Before Your Marriage Fails or something like that, I don't remember, but anyway, some of the things I I, I talked with them about, they they mentioned this, boy, I wish we knew these things three years ago before, as we were starting our relationship, they've kind of known each other for about three years. And I said, yeah, it's important to, you know, to, to get counseling, to get input, to read books before you get to that point. It will save you a lot of headaches. Anyway, just a thought.
1: Where should they go? So if you're talking to a 20-year-old person or a 40-year-old person. Where should they go to find the right people? Where would they, what would you suggest?
2: Well, I'd sure start with church. I wouldn't start with a sorority or fraternity. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I would to start with the bar because you need to go where people of, of good character are. Um, you know, if you like to volunteer somewhere, things like that. Um, you know, if you go where people of poor character are, then you're going to meet people of poor character. And I don't think you'd want to um, get linked up with someone like that.
0: Well, let me tell you how th- this is so fakey, Okay. You can tell we're opposites. Um, how fakey is this? You're at a bar, you're a guy and you're a gal, and one turns to the other, "Hey, can I buy you a drink, babe?" Would they do that at Sears? Hey, babe, can I buy you a refrigerator? Yes. I mean, that is so fakey, right? You've got to choose <laughs> to. St- you got to choose the right environment, and I don't think there's a better environment than church. Why? Because. People are learning, obviously, who God is, but it's generally an atmosphere that, hey, it's not about me, it's about other people and serving
1: others. So I echo your point. You can buy me a washing machine. We need a washing machine. Okay,
0: I'll do that.
1: All right. So most popular question, uh, and this came from both people looking uh, on the front end of marriage looking forward and people who had been married for decades looking currently. How would you say is the best way to build a long-term, rich relationship? Okay, Yeah.
0: <laughs> Cheryl says, George, you go first, okay? Um, I think the one word is this, it's commitment, okay? And it's commitment in this order, spiritual, emotional, and then physical. The world, if you think about it, does the opposite. Physical, man, you look good. Then you might care a little bit about the emotional state but then spiritual. Mm. Red Book Magazine reported this, that women really feel connected with their spouse if they emphasize and are a spiritual leader in their home. Spiritual first, emotional second, and then third, physical.
2: Um, I think what is most important is to have that, non-negotiable heart attitude of this is a lifelong commitment, and in a Christian marriage it's a covenant relationship, which God intends to only be broken by death, and um, it's also a holy calling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in the last year God has really been talking to my heart about just what a holy calling it is. And, and for you singles out there, if God has given you the gift of singlehood, that too is a holy calling. And within that holy calling, God wants us to fulfill his purposes for this world. And so when I have that in the back of my mind, it's, it's like, um, you know, this is the reason for our marriage. And to, to uh, give up on that would destroy God's purposes in our lives and for those around us. So, um, you know, it's it's a non negotiable for me. It's just how it is.
1: Yeah. So, what would you say the bedrock quality of a good marriage would be? The, I mean, if you people say communication, people say common interest, com, you know, what what would you say if you had to strip it all away, What would be the one quality that would make a good marriage work? Definitely commitment.
0: I'd say Come commitment on. to the Lord, and I know I'm a pastor, but it's that unseen thing. Truly your walk with God. This is one of the toughest relationships that a, pe- that a person can have is being married for life, right? And so it takes a power beyond ourself. Human love runs out, but God's love doesn't. And so the more you and I are centered on Christ and building that relationship, coming to church every week, and I mean every week, being in God's word, Reading, praying together, we pray almost every morning together. We pray for our church, we pray for our own lives, our kids. Building that on Christ, boom, is gonna help you make it through the
1: tough times. So that's pretty old school, just commitment. Commitment. Everything comes from there, doesn't it? So here's a good question, and this is one we really need you to just hang George out to dry, okay? So can you tell us a time When George, well, let's do it right. Let's do the good part first. Can you tell us a time when George did something really good for your marriage, for your relationship, even if he didn't even know it? What what would there be? What what would that be?
2: Well, uh, when our third son David was born, uh, I had to have a C-section, and I, I take a really long time to recover from childbirth. And he said, you know, I just want to be the one to be feeding him for the first three months at night, and. I want you to be able to get a full night's sleep so you can recover. So he did that for me. And uh, he had to get up at 8 a.m. and take the other two to swim lessons. Mm. (laughs) And he'd been up with David all night. But he and David bonded well. (laughs) So so that was just awesome for me. And then the other thing that really meant so much to me was um, when my mother passed away uh, the night before uh, he that I'm going to spend the night in the hospital all night with her so you can take your dad home, because we knew that she probably, we would probably have to turn the respirator off the next day, and he did not want her to be alone, and that meant
1: the world to me. It sounds like him serving you really shows you his love for you. George, what would you yeah. say?
0: Yeah, let me go back to that comment of staying up all, all night feeding David. He doesn't even consider me his father. (laughs) You know, he's on staff as the the pastor of student ministry. Um, But how stupid. I I was a morning person, and I thought, okay, I'll stay up all night with David. No problem. I'll get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, take the kids swimming. This was in Missouri before we came here. And that water in June was ice cold, and I was with at women. There were no no dads. I was the only one there freezing my you-know-what off with David. I'll never
1: forget that. So, I'm glad you appreciated that, sweetie.
0: All you know, right now, now here's,
1: a, here's a better chance. How about a time when he did something that really wasn't helpful and maybe he didn't know it?
2: Well, I think he knew it. <laughs> 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 I made it really clear. Um, <laughs> we were moving and He was packing our furniture in his pickup truck, and he put our chest of drawers in, and the way he had all the furniture arranged, I said, you know, I I don't think that's going to be too stable. Uh, Probably the first time you turn a corner, I'm I'm afraid that's going to just fly out of there. Oh, it's fine. (laughs) I have it arranged, you know, I'm in control.
0: At the White House.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So first corner, he turns, it flies out and just breaks in half. And
1: I meant to do that.
2: <laughs> so that, that was one of those times. Then another time was uh, we had...
1: <laughs> yeah, let's keep it going. She awesome. wins.
0: You're taking up my
1: she, time. She pulls out a big piece of paper. Well, here we go. <laughs> I have it all
2: written down on my hand here. Just
1: to All the way down your arm. <laughs>
2: Another time, we had had just a really horrible argument on a Saturday, which I think the devil likes with pastors for their pastors and their wives to fight on Saturdays. But um, anyway, I was still feeling kind of wounded from that. And so uh, the next day at church, I was helping a lady to the parlor so she could feed her baby. And uh, we have a speaker in there that. You can turn up so they can listen. So I was turning that up. And just as I turned it up, George says, Well, yesterday my wife and I had a knockdown, drag out fight.
1: She yeah. has a voice for you. Do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: 42 years, you know, you become yeah.
1: one. So. Oh, yeah.
2: But anyway, that was not helpful.
1: Is there anything else we'd like to say? (laughs) George, tell us a time when she uh, could have done better. Oh, wow.
0: Well, let me start off with the good first, because it's always important to start good and then get to the meat of the subject matter, right? Um, You know, my wife knows that uh, I'm a pastor of a a big church. I wouldn't say a mega church, but we're a big church, you know, about 3,000, 3,500 people that go to this church. And my mind is filled with different things when I come through the door. And my And Cheryl is one who always waits and lets me decompress before she begins to share her heart of what her day is like and the things that she's going through. In fact, sometimes she'll even wait several days to bring up something that's really on her heart because she knows my mind is kind of wrapped around this thing that we call church. So that's something I, I compliment my, my wife on. The, 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 she's practically perfect in every way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so here's the one thing, though, I would say. You know the alarm clock that just never stops ringing? eh. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> my wife just loves to nag me, okay? George, you're not eating right. George, you need to eat better. That would be the next day. George, do you the know how many calories are in that? <laughs> she just keeps working at it. And I always tell, Cheryl, I understand. I'm an adult, okay? I like what I'm eating right now. Or it could be about my dress, okay? George, what are you going to wear today, tomorrow? I said, well, I'm going to wear this. Well, I think this might be better. Then the next day, it's, uh, anyway, that's what it is.
1: I think she just loves you enough to be concerned for you. That's right. That's what she tells me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, just, I just love you. I just you. want him to
2: look good. Yeah. And yeah. Feel good.
1: <laughs> you know, we laugh about it, but uh, I think one of the biggest things, I've been married for 20 years, and I think yeah. one of the key one of the key turning points in our marriage uh, which which made a, the biggest difference was when my li- wife learned to just shake her head and laugh like yeah. ugh. Here it is again. Yeah. You know, and that she, I think that we both are grace-filled people, but she applies that grace to me daily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, the things you fight about when you're married for one year are often the things you fight about 25 years in. I'm a messy person. She's not. And mm-hmm. so she just, she has learned, as I have learned, that there are some things you just shake your head at and okay. go, that's that's who they are. Yep, you know? Absolutely. So, let me ask a uh, there's one more question. And it really is kind of the final question for us. And I think that when every time I talk to a young couple who's getting married, uh, one of the things I really like to uh, drive home is that no one's life turns out like we think it's gonna turn out. We, we're young, we have dreams, we have desires, we have hopes. And inevitably, there's an illness, there's financial pressure, there's a child with special needs, there's a death of the family, there's something comes along that makes life difficult. And so the question is, it's really twofold, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, It's, is it normal for it to be so hard? That's the first part of it. And then two, how do you find joy when it's so hard? So what would you guys, how would you guys Yeah, it's
0: definitely tough. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Um, Because uh, it's easy in our culture just to bail, to turn. I know when it first happened, and we had our first major was about four years into the marriage, and I wanted to walk, and I was a pastor, or being trained, educated to be a pastor, and I wanted to walk, and the best thing that was ever told to me, says, George, stay in the kitchen, and remember this, that marriage isn't about you, it's about becoming more like Christ, and so I stayed, and I'm glad I did, so I said, yeah, it's hard, but it's Holding true to your commitments and allowing God to work in you so that he can work through you. I am so glad because this would not exist. I'm convinced today if it wasn't for that. Cheryl.
2: Well, um, you know, life is full of tunnels of chaos like George was teaching about. And it's, it's normal to have those struggles. And certainly you need to look at those struggles and see if some of those were things that maybe were caused by your own decisions that you could correct, uh, bad decisions. But for the most part, life is gonna happen to all of us. And it's how we respond to the hard times that come along that really is important. And um, I know when George and I go through hard times together, Um, we, Purpose in our hearts to focus on, just keep on doing the same things we did in the good times. Spending time with God, praying together, finding things we can give thanks for, because there's so many more things that we can give thanks for than the thing that we're dealing with at that time. But, and then we grieve together too. You know, we we've had to cry about things together when we found out our oldest son was dyslexic many years ago. Um, it just broke our hearts because everyone has, you know, that expectation, those hopes and dreams in their hearts for their child. So those are some of the things that I would recommend.
0: Well, let's give it up for my wife and Jason, okay? Church of grace. We live in a broken world and we're broken people. But, like I said, though we live in the real, doesn't mean the ideal doesn't exist. We need Christ. We need him in the center of our life. We need him to be in the center of our marriages, our families, and our relationships. When that happens, things just work better. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you that you are a God of grace, that you're a God of favor, that you're a God of mercy, that you show us love. God, you accept us right where we're at. And you demonstrated that to us through your son, Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross for our sins. And we thank you for that. There's not a day in your life that you aren't proud of us, that you aren't excited about us. You shout over us as you say in your word with shouts of joy. And God, may that be firmly rooted in our minds as we walk down this road of learning how to fight, especially in the culture that we live in, for our marriages, for our relationships, for our families, for our friendships, God. Help us. We need you. God, we give you this. We thank you for all that you're gonna do this year in our life. In Christ's name, amen.